Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Now, before we start today's episode, just kind of wanted to point out, you should go make your way to our merch store. We have two new pieces of merchandise. One of them is related to my favorite bird, and in opinion, the best bird, the yellow-billed cuckoo. Um, the other is a kind of homage to a recent episode we had featuring Wild Think, the folks there. Um, we had a very fun discussion, very fun conversation with them. And somewhere along the lines of that conversation was birthed the question, who taught the monkeys capitalism? And that was kind of too good to pass up. So you can find either our yellow-billed cocoon merch or the who taught the monkeys capitalism merch on our merch store. So go ahead there. Uh, you can go to our support tab on our official website, www.birdielunchpodcast.com, and make your way over to that site. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name is Matt Valga, and I'm your host today with my two fellow best friends and co-hosts, I moved up to best friend status. What Holy is cow. That? Holy cow. Holy I guess I'm best it. friend don't Brittany. Make, don't make this a thing. I'm don't good don't friend CJ. Brittany took my place. All right. We made it a thing, apparently. And all of us apparently best friends, according to me, Matt Valiga, <laughs> are super excited to bring another really fun Yet a little bit invasive episode today. Uh, I don't know, Matt. I feel like this episode's going to get pretty buggy. Mm. Maybe a little bit glitchy. I mean, or... certainly I'm pretty bugged listening to it already. <laughs> Please move on. What can I say? We're not always the bee's knees here at the Birdie Bunch podcast. Anyways, before we get into any of that, that invasive or buggy content, CJ and Brittany, how are y'all doing? I'm doing pretty okay. Um, as of recording, we've had a lot of a lot of floods here in good old Missouri. So um, we've just been dealing with lots of water. But other than that, it's been been an interesting week. And uh, I've I've been okay. Uh, as of today, the school year starts for the uh, this district that I do some teaching in. So we are uh, back in action. But other than that, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Keeping myself real busy to be sure. Matthew, how are you? Well, it's interesting you say that about school because school is back for me too. I'm very excited to be teaching an entomology course this semester. So when we say things can get a little bit buggy. Yeah, starting the bug content off early today. Lord, we mean it. It's buggy here at the Buggy Bunch podcast. Anyways. I don't want to be the buggy bunch. I don't. What's wrong with TikTok? I don't. No, we're never going back to TikTok. Never. I don't know. Very well go back to TikTok. Oh, maybe Brittany doesn't know this. That was one of the mm. initial names for the Brittany Bunch was TikTok. The problem is Brittany knows that it was that. She just doesn't know what TikTok is. 
You know, sometimes, oh. and this is what it feels like to start a podcast too, that it is at least successful enough to where we don't siphon so much money in that we're poor because of the podcast. Um, anyways. No, we're poor for other reasons. Exactly. It's not because of the podcast. We all work it's... in nonprofits and education. That's why we're poor. <laughs> and live in America, frankly. But it's kind of the same thing. Watching a podcast come to fruition, similarly to watching a joke come to fruition like that. Like sometimes things just make sense. Well, with this buggy content being outlined, let's kind of just buzz right into our creature feature for the day. Today's creature feature is going to get a little buggy, a little spotted, if you will. Today we're going to be talking about the spotted. No, 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 no. I want to I want to ask. What do you mean when you say it's going to get a little bit spotted? <laughs> See, I wasn't going to say it. I'm already in hot water, but <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you zoom past that one, Brittany. What do you what do you mean by that? <laughs> or rather, I guess I couldn't let it fly by. <laughs> anyway, I'm being bullied and I don't right. like it. You could say this has been a very illuminating experience, you know, akin to maybe one of such could be experienced by a lantern. Perhaps like a lantern, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Can't remember the last time I spotted a lantern. Go ahead, Brittany. Did I've never fly, seen them fly. Did it fly by? I was about to say, I've never seen them fly. That's wild. <laughs> Do I just restart? Because I feel like I should just restart. Absolutely you're not. not. Gonna, you're I, absolutely no. not going to let me restart. No, no, definitely keep going. I think this is the perfect place to keep going. So today we're going to be talking about the spotted lanternfly. So the spotted lanternfly is an invasive species. They, um, as an adult, are about an inch long and a half an inch wide. And their wings are gray with black spots. And when they're flying, it's got set. They also have some red and black um, in their wings. Um, and while spotted lanternfly adults have wings and can fly they're typically not very good at it they're actually known as plant hoppers so they do have a really powerful jump spotted lanternflies prefer to feed on different types of plants and trees um they will actually when they're feeding on plants they kind of suck in all of the sap and secrete what's known as a honeydew which actually attract other insects and cause mold to grow on different types of trees and different plants. Um, and originally, the spotted lanternfly is native to China, India, and Vietnam. So unfortunately, they're much, much more invasive now. They were first detected um, in uh, Berks County, Pennsylvania, back in 2014. Um, and by 2018, Pennsylvania actually quarantined um, 13 counties um, in the southern part of the state. And as of 2020, the spider lantern fly, there's individuals and breeding populations that have literally been found across the mid-Atlantic uh, states. So 
Um, unfortunately, not great. Um, but that is the spotted lanternfly. Thanks for uh, featuring that creature, Brittany. Today's episode will be about invasive species. Um, and this one seemed pretty topical to discuss because it's probably going to be the next big thing invasive species um if it isn't already um they're particularly destructive towards vineyards um which means the wine industry you know grapes stuff like that gonna be taking a hit um spreading through the east coast and the reason i have it on the mind is because currently it's making its way westward um and it is reaching very close to where i am in ohio which is not good with especially considering how rapidly it's spread um so there's a lot that's really interesting about this bug one of the biggest things that i can say that's also the wildest is that like it's egg masses like just grow black mold and so it will like lay egg masses on like patio furniture and it will just grow like this destructive mold as well it's like a really bizarre species a really beautiful looking one but a really potentially destructive one um there's a couple things you can do if you come across spotted lanternfly first of all contact whatever fish and wildlife or department of natural resources in the state you reside in they will try and get that taken care of immediately uh, kill any that you see. Obviously, it's a very small step, you know, but, you know, it has to be done. Um, but it is it is a fascinating species that has massive catastrophic potential, especially if it reaches all the way towards the West Coast with how particularly, you know, we're talking millions of dollars um, could be lost in agriculture due to this species. It's it's insane. With that insanity, uh, you know, usually we like to alleviate with our current events because all our current events alleviate insanity, right, CJ? I'm letting you know this one does not. I kind of figured. So with that said, let's buzz it, into current events. It is still buggy, though, so I did yeah. appreciate that. Mm, I guess we butterfly into the, you know, current events section, huh? Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So today's current event is not a super cheery one, but none are these days, are they? Um, today's current event comes from about a month ago at this point, but it is about the amazing and beautiful monarch butterfly. Um, so if you didn't see a couple of weeks ago that the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or the IUCN, has listed monarch butterflies as endangered due to steep declines experienced over the past decade. Monarchs, which migrate across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, have shrunk in population between 22 and 72% in just the last 10 years. A lot of people point to deforestation in their wintering range, which could be in, you know, like south of uh, southern United States and Mexico, 
Um, part of it could be pesticides and agriculture, the lack of their host plant, which is milkweed, throughout their range for their decline. And another really big part of it is climate change, which has also played a significant role because it causes a lot of catastrophic weather events. We've seen crazy rainstorms. We've seen tornadoes. We've seen wildfires. That's just in the past three years that I can think of off the top of my head. And I know for sure there's been more. And a lot of those are increased in number by climate change. So the, the, there's basically two groups of monarchs in the United States. The Western population, which spends its winters in coastal California and flies west to the Rocky Mountains in the spring. Those guys are facing the largest decline. Scientists estimate that they've dropped 99.9% between the 1980s and 2021, which is astronomical. And the Eastern Monarch population, which migrates from the east of the Rocky Mountains to central Mexico, also declined about 84% between 1996 and 2014, which is, again, 84% in 18 years is insane. Not quite 99.9% .9 like that Western population in decrease, but... It's, it's still unbelievable when you think about it. It's really difficult to watch monarch butterflies and their extraordinary migration teeter on the edge of collapse. But a member of the IUCN Species Survival Commission Butterfly and Moth Specialist Group, Anna Walker, says that there are signs of hope. Uh, many people and organizations have come together to try and protect this beautiful butterfly and its habitats, from planting native milkweed to reducing pesticide, to supporting protection over their wintering sites and contributing to community science, we all have a role to play in making sure that this iconic insect makes a full recovery. That is our current event this week on the listing of endangered of the monarch butterfly. What are our thoughts and feelings? It's disheartening, particularly given the context that this is a species that you know, within natural realms and like natural spheres is like, you know, and even outside of that has been a very charismatic species that generally conservation has been pretty extensively devoted towards even becoming the flagship of like the native, you know, plant for birds slash bugs um, outcry that has especially been the drums have been beating much louder in about the past five years, I would say. And so to see this development in the midst of all of that is disheartening. Um, it speaks to the necessity of systemic change rather than just mere personal, you know, action change. And so there's there's a lot that we could go into that with that that deserves a whole, you know, extra episode. But nonetheless, disheartening to see. Yeah. I I had read um, an article about it um, when it first, like, first or second day it came out. And it's just really sad. And, like, I feel like bugs tend not to get a lot of attention um, or insects. And But when I think about summers, and maybe this is just from spending a lot of my time at, the, at zoos and things like that, but the monarch butterflies, like, the one that you can always pick out. Like, that's like the one as a kid that was just like, you I mean, knew it's, what butterfly that it's is. It's synonymous with summertime here in Illinois. Like, yeah. it is our state insect, I believe. 
Mm, it's um, like just the butterfly too. It's like, the I mean, quintessential yeah. butterfly. When most yeah. people here in the Midwest think of a butterfly, absolutely. Yeah, so it's just really sad, and hopefully, I I, I cling on to that hope that um, conservation efforts will bring populations back up. Um, but here's to hope. Well, with that disheartening current event. As opposed to, you know, the, the disheartening creature feature. Why don't we move into today's main topic? Spoiler alert, it might end up being disheartening. All right, so today we got a real treat for y'all coming from deep in the depths of the Birdie Bunch podcast lore. We said about two seasons ago, I believe it was episode three or something like that, that one day we would... That's slick right there. It was. By me. Like I said, deep in the depths of Birdie Bunch lore, but we did say that we would one day revisit the topic of invasive species because it can't be boiled down into just one episode. And today, folks, we're doing it two seasons later. We're doing it. I mean, I think this is the perfect time. There's a lot of things happening in current events about invasive species. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, things we talked about today involving invasive species. So mm -hmm. it's pretty topical. It is. It is very topical. And, you know, one of the things that's important to discuss about it is we're all beginning to, I think, recognize that we're living in an immense amount of change in like an immense amount of turmoil and strife and depression and i could go on and on and on but the main thing is that we are living through a very rapid change in our world and not positive what to do and so invasive species define one of those changes so before we start anything off i kind of wanted to structure today is you know, discussion of invasive species, not necessarily um, like, uh, you know, we did two seasons ago where we just told the stories of a couple invasive species, but really kind of getting into the nitty gritty of what are they? What can we do? How do we exist with them? All that kind of stuff. So before we press this, you know, before we start with any of that, I would like to preface with just the definition of an invasive species. It's a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and I see it particularly thrown around a lot in the sphere of gardening. A lot of times in reference to weeds, you know, things like dandelions and clover and all that, I hear a lot of people say that these are invasive plants. I mean, first of all, I'd like to say that those weeds actually oftentimes aren't invasive um, just because a plant pops up in your garden that you don't want it there doesn't make it invasive rather the definition of an invasive species is much more ecological and environmentally based in nature than just something that isn't where you want it to be so as far as the department of agriculture goes this is the usda website invasivespeciesinfo.gov an invasive species is defined by two main characteristics Number one being that it is non-native slash alien to the ecosystem that is under consideration. So um, it doesn't belong where it is currently found because all species have native ranges. But when you take them and transplant them, then they run the risk of being invasive. 
And number two, and this is a kind of an important tier as well, because for the government's purposes, an invasive species is also a species whose introduction causes or is likely to cause economic or environmental harm or harm to human health. So for a species to be invasive, not only can it be in the wrong spot, um, but it also has to be problematic in some nature. And this is kind of important of a distinction because there's species that happen where they don't belong all the time. We've discussed, I believe, in a current event before about the stellar sea eagle that like has kind of just made its way all along like uh, North America when nat natively their ranges are in Eurasia. Birds that are vagrant and birds that pop up in the wrong spots don't relegate themselves towards being invasive. Why? Well, because the presence of a stellar sea eagle is not problematic ecologically. It's weird. It's cool even. Um, but it is not something that has the potential to drive ecosystem collapse, say, the way that the Burmese python does or the way green and gaunas do or the way that honeysuckle does when we're talking about, like, community plant composition. So with that said, you know, the discussion of invasives becomes not just a discussion about, you know, what what is the plant, you know, what is the species, but also what are the impacts that they're having on the human world and the natural world? Because those two responses are so intimately intertwined, it's really hard to parse out. You know, take, for example, the um, emerald ash borer. Uh, we'll probably be touching upon a lot of insects today just because they're really easy to spread. It's a lot harder to spread something as large as, say, a Burmese python, although we did that successfully as well, as it is to potentially spread a bug just by way of like a stowaway, you know, not purposefully bringing it, but rather, oh, it was on my shoe. Oh, it was in this firewood that I brought. It's like that happens very often, especially with insects. You know, for example, in the case of the emerald ash borer, you have this species of beetle whose larva bores under the bark of ash trees and has been so prominent, I'd say, about the past 20 years in especially Midwestern, but certainly, you know, United States forest ecosystems as well. It's been so prominent that ash tree is incredibly rare to find, especially alive now. They are so destructive towards forest systems and you know we think about that and we think about tree fallout as being you know a problem in general some people might not view it as much a problem because it introduces sunlight uh to the forest canopy floor it introduces easy firewood if you'd like to go that route like when a tree falls you don't have to fell it yourself you know this is all potential schemes of thought but at the same time you know invasive species are a little bit of a different bear because the the cascade effects of what they can do to an ecosystem are unfounded. So, you know, you have an ash stand in your old growth forest, right? An old growth forest specifically is characterized, at least in the eastern United States, as very tall canopy, um, not a lot of mid-tier growth, and then forbs on the lower level. This is because those really tall canopies are all really old trees that have survived for a really long time and they choke out all the light that saplings of new trees need to grow to become as large as they can. So they never make it very high because those trees are so tall. Let's say now you 
have an ash tree that falls out. You have a stand of ash, maybe five ash, that now creates a very large pocket of sunlight within your old growth forest. Well, the old growth forest that you had, this potential ash, poplar, beech maple kind of forest, now it loses a big portion of what makes it resistant to, say, other invasives like honeysuckle, a, a large shrubbing bush or small tree, however you want to define it. Um, it loses that resistance because honeysuckle needs massive amounts of sunlight to grow. So you get this ash fallout, and it opens the way for yet another invasive species to move in because that canopy has now been knocked out the way it wasn't before. And this is all kind of a roundabout way to say that invasive species do have massive effects on the ecosystems that we call home. You know, they're everywhere all the time. There's kudzu in the southeast. There's uh, the, the, the hornets out west. You know, these are species that characterize every single ecosystem, it feels like, at this point, um, surrounding us. And so with that discussion in, in mind, I thought it might be interesting to take it to a bit of a round table talk about invasive species and certainly impacts and stories that we know of, you know, anything interesting that we have to say about them, but also what living in a post-invasive species, a post-globalized ecological world looks like. I think that's a very interesting discussion to talk about that toes the line between two conservation thoughts, old conservation and new conservation. I would love to break that specific paradigm shift down at some point on the podcast, but I do think it's important to discuss just because we are moving in a direction to where very often we're looking at global diversity lowering and ecosystems globally becoming more and more homogenized across each other. And so I thought that might be an interesting talk about what are the ways that we can combat invasives? What are the ways that we can live alongside invasives? And all these really interesting stories and species that we might not know what to do with as individuals. So I kind of wanted to open it up to all of y'all. I mean, just to start, like you mentioned some really interesting kind of invasive species stories kind of in that little intro there, Matt, but there's so many. Literally just at work the other day, somebody was like, what is this weird little lizard doing in our room? And it was a house gecko just hanging out. Like, they were like, I didn't know we had geckos here. We don't. We absolutely don't. Those are from Southeast Asia. And they came probably either with produce or with like plants that came in for our horticulture department. And it's insane that that's like a thing that we would have never even thought that could be in our room, but totally is. And they're everywhere all over the globe. It's, it's fascinating that invasive species have become normalized and some, you know, it's fine that they're normalized, <laughs> but others, it's a completely different thing. It can literally tear from the ecosystem. Like it's insane. I always think every time I think about invasive species, I always think about Florida because Florida is just a cesspool of invasive species. And it's because it's hot 
and humid and it, there's temperatures and an environment there that a lot of animals thrive in. And so, you know, a Burmese python being released in Chicago, probably not going to make it over a Chicago winter. But like a Burmese python released in Florida, they're now thriving and able to be a predator of an alligator and things like that. And so I feel like invasive, invasive species do come here in very obscure ways and in, in, in ways that you don't think about. Um, but they also come because of things like the pet industry that we've talked about. And, and things like that. You said you think of Florida. I always think of Australia when I think of invasive species. It's another place that just has these ecosystems that are so tepid for the most part. Like they're pretty adaptable for anybody. So things like rabbits, foxes, cane toads, there are so many different species in Australia. That's why like Australia has really, really strict limitations on import exports now, more than most other large nations because of their invasive species and the cane toad is like really is a really interesting species when it comes to being invasive because they were released purposely so, so were rabbits and foxes fun fact yeah um i don't i don't know specifically i, I know a lot about the cane toad i don't know as much about yeah the i can tell i can tell if you want to tell that cane toad story i'll be glad to tell the rabbit and fox yeah. story <laughs> so cane toads were released on sugar cane fields to be able to eat the bugs and things they were released as like a natural pesticide basically um until they realized that cane toads don't really hunt and they don't really they weren't the best choice when it comes to being a toad to choose what they were trying to do. Like they weren't eating the bugs like they thought they were going to. They weren't doing a lot of those things. And then they just became super evasive and like just bred all the time. Um, and it's why they're called cane toads um, because they were found in cane fields and they're poisonous. So they secrete a poisonous substance along basically kind of like along their their um shoulder blades um and they're like really like deadly to a lot of other species mm -hmm. i yeah i wanted to not only are they poisonous they are extremely like like um you know from what i understand i don't i i can't verify this but I have been told in colloquial conversation that uh, all amphibians have some form of toxin. I don't believe that to be something that I could verify, um, but let it be known that amphibians are prone to toxins in general. Um, whether or not they all are, you know, that's not really the point. Um, cane toads are extremely highly toxic like i've read reports of them killing a dog that bites mm -hmm. them not swallows them bites, bites them in approximately yep. three minutes so they are actually a class one hallucinogenic drug in australia you know, because they are the toes that you lick once you get high you lick twice you die um oh, god and so yeah so like like dogs and things that are going just to like bite and things like that like they're 
they're being exposed to that extremely poisonous toxin. Um, and like people are strange at the fact that like, we know that you can die from this, but you're still going to lick it to get high. But that's another story. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah that's, actually that's less are... an invasive species story. And just a little, people are weird story. Yeah, yeah exactly. I will say, just as a quick, you know, uh, those those toxins are known as a pufo toxin, a bufo toxin. Rather. Yeah, bufo Sorry. is their genus. Yeah, it's synonymous with them, um, but it it like it basically just spreads throughout your whole body, like just works immediately. It is it is not only like a massive amount of toxin for a, a toad to secrete. But it is a potent toxin. Like, don't touch them without gloves on kind of potent toxin. I would also like to point out, too, I just found that they can also be found in Florida now. So you were discussing Florida. This is unsurprising. It is extremely unsurprising. Um, um, well, they're initially from, like, Central and South America, right? That's their it's... traditional range. And they do have natural predators there. But when they're taken away from their homes in those native countries they lose those predators and thus become a real problem similarly for rabbits and foxes in australia i'm just gonna tell this quick story then matt can continue it's a story that i really like when white people first came to australia with their firearms um australian wildlife was very easy to hunt because indigenous people didn't have firearms so they didn't have to really worry about competing with that as species as as uh as wildlife and so europeans were basically just like oh this is too easy this is too easy let's just bring in rabbits rabbits are so good to hunt so they straight up brought in rabbits because it would be more fun for them to hunt and then rabbits became too much of a problem so they brought in foxes to get rid of the rabbits this is real. This is a real fact from the nation that lost a war against emus. This is a real fact. They kind of just bring in stuff to deal with problems very regularly. I think they have since stopped, as far as I'm aware. But yes, mm -hmm. it's a very quintessential surprise Pikachu meme scenario. Yeah. Brittany, you mentioned something a while, while, while back at this point before we got into foxes and hares and all that. Brittany, you made a point about Florida that I really wanted to touch back upon because I, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about, too, when we talk about invasives and how they become so prominent. We have Florida is like the perfect ecological example of where like you could transplant a species here, put it there, and it will survive because it has the climate that it needs. It has relatively the stuff that it needs or it's adaptable enough to where it could survive in that biosphere um and if you look across the board that's about half of the invasive species stories that you can really think of but the other half is the one that's particularly more devastating when it comes to ecology because what you're looking at is a replacement of native specialistic species you know species that have involved in a certain biome um have evolved for certain conditions or for certain trophic levels or you know be it whatever just specific in general 
Um, but you're finding these species that work well as invasives also have a tendency to be species that don't have very rigid conditions. They are species that are much more generalistic in nature. I would love to point out honeysuckle, for example. Amor honeysuckle is ridiculously hardy. Same thing as garlic mustard, uh, autumn olive, you know. You know, these are species that do well in a much broader range of conditions, which has a twofold effect, right? Because first of all, conditions across year are variable in general. Like weather changes, climate is extended over periods of time. We've all hopefully heard that adage. But there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, these species live well in a relatively variable climate. And then when you add on these potentially devastating effects of this little thing going on known as climate change, that's where things get a really, really particularly frightening because climate change perpetuating extremes as far as colds and, you know, hot and precipitation events and major storm events and all that stuff that we've heard of before, that makes conditions more variable across the year, all across the world things are getting less stable. These systems and these regimes that we've looked towards for stability for the past decades, for the past centuries, are falling apart. And because they're falling apart, the first things to get knocked out are those natives. They've become adapted to certain specific climates. That's always going to be true. When you look at things that get knocked out extinction-wise, it's usually specialists. But the more generalistic species that you have, which also tend to be the ones that work well as invasives, the better they survive in those variable climates that are then being perpetuated by climate change. And so it's creating this positive feedback loop to where invasives are being linked to climate change and the whole cycle is being perpetuated even quicker and quicker and quicker because climate broadens the boundaries that we have on our normal weather climate systems. And so that's something I thought was interesting to talk about as well, because it's something that is a problem couched in another problem, as they all are. It's never just a problem. It's always a problem. That's a series of. So you were talking a lot about like different types of plants and things. And when I like growing up, when anytime like someone talked about a invasive species my instant thought was always an animal and it happens a lot my first really like my first real experience like with uh an, an invasive species that wasn't an animal was um when we used to volunteer in high school um and we would go out and cut down buckthorn um and so which is again just another example of those plant species and i think I wanted to just reiterate that it's not just animals, that it is plants, and they can do sometimes just as much damage as as animals do um, when it comes to the environment and the species that are surrounding it. Um, it also changes whole ecosystems. So like, you know, buckthorn could take over, say a whole plane that an animal or, or an endangered animal is at and then all of a sudden they're not eating or whatever it is like there's always like there's like a like a chain reaction i guess is what i'm trying to say um which then leads me to 
kind of like my second point, and we're talking about how invasive species kind of oh, can ultimately um, outcompete the native species that are there. Um, and I'm going to go back to Florida because I know a lot about Florida <laughs> invasive species, but like a native species that actually can only be found in the Florida Keys are key deer. Um, and currently they're super endangered and they're only really found on Big Pine Key. Um, and I think there's a couple, they can be found a little bit in the surrounding keys from Big Pine Key. Um, and they were originally endangered for habitat loss, but now they also have to try to compete and survive these Burmese pythons and these um, other species that are now invasive, um, unfortunately, to Florida. So that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking about that. The descriptor of what was, you said a chain reaction, is a really perfect one um to use for this whole thing because you know for another example because i know um you know florida very well and i know like the forests around me in ohio um that seems to be my bread and butter at this point but you know taking it and putting it that too you have this knockout of ash based on emerald ash borer and invasive that then culminates with honeysuckle rapidly colonizing the area of ash fallout. The mid-level shrub, it gets decently tall, um, smaller woody tree, but nothing on the likes of maple or anything like that. And it colonizes first. It colonizes quickly, it colonizes fast, and it immediately takes over that spot where sunlight has grown. That's what we tend to see happening. It grows in, maxes out, not only has it taken up space, but it also takes up sunlight. And so now native trees that have their seeds transplanted there, poplar, maple, stuff like that, doesn't grow because now it's being choked out by a mid-level thing instead of a full-grown tree. Not only that, but then the bugs, the, the moths and the the beetles and everything that rely on those trees also now have less population, you know, less of that native plant that they rely on, especially, you know, looking at what I focus on moths, you know, the more you knock out the ash and then allow honeysuckle to percolate in, the more generalistic moths you have, which homogenizes the moth community, which then oftentimes is could be potentially having an implication on the bird community because now there's less diversity of a fuji and it's all just this increased cycle and like really has the ability to drastically change things relatively quickly that you know even when looking at plant community it's really important that you brought that up that like plants can and often are just as destructive because they really truly are and we don't think of it because they don't eat anything but they're eaten and that's just as important i just want to take a quick minute and like address some invasive species that maybe like aren't as disruptive there's one that comes to mind for me and it's something that i have been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting on recently and kind of what i was thinking there was along the lines of city pigeons I've been doing a lot of reflecting on pigeons. As many people know who listen to the podcast, I live in this great city of Chicago. 
And pigeons are a staple here, as they are in pretty much every major city across the globe. Rock pigeons, rock doves, whatever you want to call them. They are a common sight to see. And while they have, in fact, been called flying rats and disease spreaders, that really could not be further from the truth. In fact, they're one of the most clean animals in the city. <laughs> and they're, like, if you take a good look at them, they're, like, actually really, really beautiful birds. And the reason that they're here is our fault. With a lot of invasive species, if not all invasive species, the reason that they are in spaces that they shouldn't be is because of people. It can be argued, and in fact, I'm going to argue it, that the worst invasive species of all time is human beings. Consistently throughout history, we have gone places where we shouldn't, bringing things that we shouldn't. And things that never asked to be where they are. And that can be extrapolated into a thousand different ways, and I would actually really love to talk about all those different ways, but frankly, I don't think that we have the time. Because especially when it comes to, to species like pigeons. You know, there's a lot of beauty that comes in their uh, simpleness, if you will. And I think part of that is because of our history with them. Human beings have such a rich history with that species pretty much exclusively, right? Like, we've domesticated them since the beginning. And now they're, like, wild in all of our cities. And they're staples in all of our cities. I don't know. It's, it's a complex relationship that humans have with invasive species. And one in particular, I think, is the pigeon. But there's so many that the species is really doing nothing wrong. They're just doing what they're doing. But the fact they're messing things up is, in fact, our fault. And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness as a species to take a step back and actually acknowledge that, oh, man, those those dang pythons, man, ugh. No, what, how do you think they got there? They're from Indonesia. They didn't <laughs> swim. Right. So it, I think it, 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 it takes a lot of self-awareness, and I think kind of the goal of this episode, I believe, Matt, please correct me if I'm wrong, is taking us to this point of, this self-consciousness mm -hmm. that is i am i was looking for a way to segue to this because that's exactly what you know the point of this is is because all of everything beforehand is merely a way to say this is happening it's going to continue happening and oftentimes it really feels like there's no stopping it okay what now right we live in a world where climate change could very often be perpetuating invasive species takeover where in living in an increasingly globalized world where very hardy species like zebra mussels can be transplanted on your boots or you're in your boat water or something like that. Like that's just the reality of the world that we live in. Okay. So what do we do to mitigate the effects of in invasive species? What do we do to preserve species that are threatened by invasive species? And most importantly, how do we learn to live in an ecosystem that is not 100% what we knew 100, 150 years ago? How do we 
rectify and continue to thrive in an ecosystem and an environment that looks different because different and change are coming. They are here and it's important now to not only be able to reckon with it, but to understand what we can do within it. And so any ideas that you folks have on mitigating further spread, any slick tricks or something like that, that you know with certain species that help stop the spread of those species to various areas. For example, um, for me, uh, one thing that spreads a lot of invasive insects is actually transfer of firewood. So um, bringing firewood across state borders, oftentimes, especially in the Midwest, you can find to be illegal. That's because pest species, you know, larva of emerald ash borer potentially or other invasive things like the spongy moth can stow away in firewood. So just getting local firewood, that's like super easy. I mean, that's not hard at all. There's no need to really bring it across state lines. You save room packing when you go on your camping trip. You save money oftentimes because if you live in the city and then go out to camping in the state parks, uh, I hate to break it to you, the firewood's going to be cheaper in the state park. Um, but most importantly, you can find local stuff that you can feel good about not being infected you can feel good about not bringing stuff in where it doesn't belong. Another thing similar to that is um, white nose syndrome. It is very similar to that. Uh, the white nose syndrome fungus that is so destructive on bat populations. Just don't keep wearing the same boots all the time. Because that those spores are extremely resistant, extremely hardy. And it only takes one to completely take over a bat colony eventually. So just wearing different things or giving your shoes a really, really, really good wash and rinse and a lot of time in between, you know, going between different state parks where bats are prominent. Simple, easy, and most of all, effective. These things are known to work. They're talking about things that we can do to kind of help with the invasive species. And one that we haven't talked about, um, that we talked about before we started recording, but I'm going to bring up is our invasive, dom like domesticated cat population, bum, outdoor bum, cats. Bum. They're extremely invasive. And PSA, go neuter your cat or spay your cat. Um, but they harm so many of our local ecosystems because they're hunters. I mean, cats are like, it's not the cat's fault. It's what they do. They go and they hunt. They, you know, that's just their instincts. But it's our fault as people because we allow them to do so. We allow them to go out and harm our ecosystems. I've had conversations before about, well, you know, they just get out or whatever. And, or they just really like being outside. They can totally like to be outside, but they can totally be supervised. So there's ways of allowing your cats to be outside without having them disrupt natural, local ecosystems, harness training, letting them go out on leashes, taking them for walks. They have really cool catios where they can technically be outside, um, but they're not going to harm birds and they're not going to har harm you know local ecosystems 
It's just small changes, small things that can really make huge impacts. And I, I think that brings up a really interesting point, kind of the antithesis of the point I was bringing up before, where there are good invasive species. And cats are an example of invasive species that we don't even think of, right? I mean, cats, domestic dogs, they're just straight up like human pets that have been released that are impacting the ecosystem. Like that is fully an example of an invasive species. I feel like when we talk about like the Burmese python being an invasive species and it's a snake, and I feel like snakes get this really bad reputation yep. about being scary or gross or whatever. So of course they're invasive and of course they're bad. But like your cat, your snuggly little cat at home, invasive species. I have two. Yeah. They're both indoor cats. But I've got two. I know. I mean, domestic cats are the number one cause of death for migratory birds. Yeah. Like and the not, number one. And not relatively even close. No, it's it's two. like upwards it's of like a hundred and hundred million or more difference oh, between a, the next one. Yeah, it's um the number that they kill yearly is a is a is a metric that starts with a B, not an M. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow. It, it, it's a B. Um it is not an M. Uh, which is staggering to think about. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's something that people don't think about because they don't think of their animals as being bad or being a problem or an issue. Um, and there's, there's lots of stigmas around that because of just what society has deemed as good or bad or scary or not scary. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of just perpetuates this idea that like, of course my cat's not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. And I think that's I think that statement right there, I am not doing anything wrong, is mm -hmm. kind of what gets every what gets us in trouble is that no one wants to take accountability for their actions. Like, hey, I actually contributed to this, but while you don't want to admit it, it's it's okay. You can yeah. easily change it by one simple step. That personal agency is really important that you touched upon it. Because with it's the same story as Burmese pythons is, you know, you get this big snake that you want this big snake. Okay, this snake got big. Now I can't take care of the big snake anymore. I'll just throw it outside. Like all of these things, you know, personal agency plays a huge role in like what we talk about with invasives because you're right in that the cat's not doing anything wrong. The cat's being a cat. The cat doesn't have a concept of right or wrong, just as honeysuckle doesn't have a concept of right or wrong or ecology. It's just living. So the the thing with the agency here is humans. And so it's important that when we look at invasive species, we don't look at a species that's bad. We don't characterize them as evil or something like that because it's us. And the agency is what really causes that or the lack of agency there is. Yeah, I, I mentioned it briefly before in this episode, but what it really is, it's a lack of self-awareness. That's the main issue about invasive species. No species is where it shouldn't be, if not for human beings. Whether it be rats getting on a ship and getting somewhere except everywhere except Alberta, Canada, which, by the way, if you didn't know that, that's a fun fact about rats. They are everywhere except Alberta, Canada. And it's because Alberta has a rat police. Anyway, this is a real fact. What kind of... I want to know, like, I... <laughs> 
Put him upside. Put him upside. <laughs> but it <was>, no. <laughs> or it's as complicated as like, oh, I let my cat outside and it killed 14 different migratory birds this week. Both of those things are humans' fault. Both of them. And I think, and the, it, yeah, it, 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 it's Matt, you asked a really excellent question. And what are our thoughts in ways that we could suggest toward the nature lovers that they could help prevent invasive species and stop the spread of invasive species? And what an excellent question to kind of wrap this episode up on. And the answer that I have for you is literally just spread awareness. That's literally the biggest thing anyone can do because human beings not being aware of us making the problem is normally the problem. And you can take that into account with climate change. You can take that into account with a lot of things that maybe we don't have to talk about in this podcast, but it's a matter of us creating the problem and being like, oh my God, a problem. Oh my, what? There's a problem at the United States. This is the quintessential <laughs> prevention versus reaction and debate. You say the United States, but like, actually, this is everybody. This yeah. isn't just the United States. Like, this We're is literally everybody. Worse at it. And it's the like it's human beings' fault. I said mm -hmm. it before. I say it again. Human beings are the worst invasive species on the planet. Before you know, I with this whole episode had sucked the life and joy out of me. But I do want to end on a positive note because you're right. The biggest thing that we can do is spread awareness, right? Those vines that you see down in Tennessee and stuff like that, that's kudzu. Don't spread that. Go into go into a national park with a bunch of bats and then go into another one, different boots. If you're a boater. You love boating, you take your boat out of the water and you're going to go drive it to another, you know, another boating place, wash it and clean that water out first. You know, if you're not privy to that kind of information, you can't even effectively try and seek preventative measure because how do you prevent something you're not aware of happening? So that's a huge and most important way to help as, you know, as a species unite against the continued spread of invasives. Another one that I'd like to put forth kind of revolves around recognizing that there's some things that we can't stop. Um, we, you know, it's the this interesting conflict between preservation and conservation, which I believe in our discussion without nature was a big yeah. hot button topic and yeah. it's really important. We talked a lot about that, but also, like, it's just a topic we should come back to. Yes, it is hugely like, a one. So, if you're interested, we are going to do an episode about it in the near future, mm. but probably not till after the spooky bunch. Yeah, no, it's pretty spooky in general. Um, but, like, that's an important thing, you know, keeping everything just the way it is or keeping everything effective and equitable. Like, those are, those are, that's a differing, you know, subset of opinions within the conservation community that makes it hard to band together. But when we understand and recognize that certain things like honeysuckle are just going to be there or autumn olive or garlic mustard, we can also kind of adapt alongside with those environments because, frankly, the whole entire ecosystem is just adapting. Is it adapting the way that we as conservationists would like? Not always the case, but it is just growing and evolving and adapting. 
And so not only are you working to preserve those native populations, but you're also utilizing something in a way that takes us away from this big regime of buying stuff from half a world away and brings it back to our backyards. And even if our backyards have changed in look and in feel, we can still use that and live off of it. And 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 Matt, I think that's that's too true. I mentioned again, I, I keep mentioning what I mentioned earlier. I feel like that was really all I had for this conversation. But you know, we, we talk about things like pigeons. Pigeons have fully integrated themselves into our ecosystems here in cities. They can be a nuisance, absolutely, but they're not bothering anybody's life. They're not taking over native species. In fact, they're like eating our garbage, which realistically is a good thing, right? Food waste is the number one type of waste in all human ecosystems. I think Thomas Hines touched upon that with rats when we talked wild yeah. New York City. That was a, and yeah. that's a huge point. Right? And while, you know, we can look at a pigeon and be like, ugh, disgusting. That's an animal that we brought here. That is on us fully. And is also on us to accept it as a part of our community, as a part of our ecosystem in urban environments. And even though we have all of these really kind of nasty invasives like honeysuckle and kudzu, you can also do some really beautiful things with them and turn them into some beautiful things for your kitchen. And I think that's a really great point to end on is this, this conversation between preservation and conservation and restoration, you know, all these different words that can mean so many different things, but like it or not, the world is different than what, how we initially thought it would be. And it's our fault. It's fully on us. Well, not us here at the Birdie Bunch podcast specifically, but us as human beings. It's it's on us. And it's also on us to kind of accept that as a part of our community. And how we can best mitigate conflict is really the concern. It's not a matter of we need to eradicate all pythons. It's we need to conserve native species that are being harmed because of pythons. And why are pythons here? Because of us, Right. It, it, it gets it gets complicated with invasive species, especially because there's so many, they're so populous. But they're our fault at the end of the day. And accepting that responsibility and owning that as this is on us and it's on us to amend it in whatever way that takes is a beautiful takeaway. Thank you for wrapping that up, CJ. Um, I think that's a beautiful way to phrase that. I think it's important to recognize that just because an ecosystem looks different doesn't make it any less viable and so it's up to us to work in all ways we can i really like the way that you put that with that said sorry folks this has been a long one but there's a lot of invasive species out there so i figured it's applicable but we're going to move into what we like to call the outro so first off i'd like to say if you've appreciated anything we've talked about today and you're wondering, wow, where can I get updates about new episodes or other stuff to relate to the Birdie Bunch podcast? Go follow our social media pages. You can find us all at the Birdie Bunch podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We also have our own individual places that you can find our lives because we have lives outside of the podcast. Believe it or not, this is not the Truman Show. Wait, you guys have lives? Yeah, but I'm barely breathing. 
Um, yeah, me too, but on account of the asthma. Yeah, no, I'm just praying to a God that I don't believe in, and that's pretty wild. Okay, is that a song? It is. It is a song. She got freedom. <laughs> Break even by the script. It is the script. Yes. It is the script. I know more than the Grateful Dead. I promise. Um, but to, you know, to find us all as individual units, um, CJ and Brittany, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. And I. Honestly, I'm I'm just going to be completely honest with you. We're recording s- so far in the future. I don't know what the most. The world is going to be different by the time this podcast comes out. And I really hope that the current event of the monarch being endangered doesn't become outdated and there's something horrifying that's happened. Because um, it's the danger of being a, a show that has a current event segment, but also wanting to plan ahead for our own well-beings. Anyway, I love you. Bye. I don't even know how to go on, but here we are. You can find me on Instagram at um, the Brittany Bunch. T H E B is in Brichter. R I T T A N Y underscore B is in Brichter. U N C H. As CJ said, we do record pretty far in advance. However, I'm pretty irregular at posting. So most likely my most uh, recent post is probably still going to be from Chickatique, um, Virginia. Uh, but it was really fun. And you should check it out. Hopefully I will have been better about posting on my social media. Um, but we'll see. If there are things that you want to know about my life, DM me. I don't know. Don't DM me. <laughs> Open invitation, DM Brittany. <laughs> yeah. Slide into Brittany's DMs, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brittany, you're married. <laughs> as soon as it came out, I wanted just to like eat the words. <laughs> it's funny because there's also something that can be done about that, simply known as editing. Um, yeah. I, I will be leaving that in. I need you to know. That is beautiful. <laughs> <Do> not. <laughs> that is beautiful. Please do not. <laughs> I, I really think that I should, but I also think that I, I like. I don't think I should, but I think I want to. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you want to, as long as you don't. What if? What if? What if? What if I include all of the times where you say that you don't afterwards? And what if I include this whole bit? This is good. <laughs> like this is pretty funny. This is good. You did ask for it. Like, you legitimately, like, not only, like, were like, you can. You were like, please. I was like, hmm. I was like, no. I double down. It's fine. Maybe you shouldn't, actually. No, I agree with you. I shouldn't, because after it came out again, I was like, no, 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 don't. Anyway. Matt, where can you be found on the social media? Uh, Instagram, Matt Valiga, M-A-T-T-V is in Victor, A-L-I-G-A. Please DM Matt Malaga. He really wants to DM. <laughs> <laughs> That's M-A-T-T-V, uh, Victor, A-L-I-G-A. Please slide in that man's DMs. No, thanks. Leave me alone, Get it. folks. Like I said a long time ago, you can find us collectively on Instagram and Facebook at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. You can also find us on our website, at www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. That's right. We have our own domain, people. We're cool. 
Um, there you can find a bunch of sick resources. You can learn a little bit more about us and our individual stories, if that interests you. You can listen to our podcast from that website if you should be so inclined. Personally, I prefer Apple Podcasts, but, you know, we all have our own personal tastes. Um, you can also find resources from episodes. You can find our merch store and our Patreon as well. So I described at the earlier the episode, we have a couple new merch merch drops. So definitely go check that out if you'd like to support us. You can also support us on Patreon. There are a couple tiers that you can you know, subscribe to on our Patreon, get a couple exclusive stuff. All that's outlined there. That link's directly in our website as well on the support us tab. By the way, thank you, Gabe Anderley, for being a continued patron subscriber to the Birdie Bunch podcast. Really appreciate your support. It very much so means the world to us. If you would like to support the podcast, but don't necessarily financially have the means, definitely there's a couple things that you can do that help us out greatly as well. For starters, you can leave a review. You can either leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that beautiful platform I was just referring to. You can also leave one on our Facebook page as well. I don't exactly know how to do that because I'm, I think, too young for Facebook. Um, but at the same time, too Brittany, young for Facebook. Too Brittany, young for Facebook. You what are you out? talking about, young man? I don't think you're old enough for Facebook either. Unless you're like 77, I don't think we understand how Facebook works. Anyways, I'm too old for Facebook. Uh, but you these, can leave a review either on our Facebook. don't know what they're doing. These, these Zoomers think they're getting the better of me. Anyways, those are some of the places that you can leave reviews. Uh, CJ, do you have a review that you want to read out of the Birdie Bunch podcast? I do, in fact, have a review that I want to read out for the Birdie Bunch podcast. This review is from. Marissa Rice, Reese, R-E-I-S-S. It's on our Facebook. It's, in fact, a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, we're going to read it out like Matt mentioned. So here's the review. These guys are great and so funny. As a lifetime animal lover, I still find myself learning from them heart emoji. Also, I love, capital L-O-V-E, the inclusivity and diversity heart emoji heart emoji heart emoji heart emoji heart emoji heart emoji but those last six heart emojis are you ready for this they're a rainbow wow. red orange yellow green blue and purple yeah thank you for that review melissa marissa, marissa. <laughs> thank you for that review marissa we really appreciate it like CJ said, if you leave a five-star review, we will read it out on the podcast. That said, you know, you don't have to leave a five-star review. If you really hate us, let us we know. We just won't read it out on the podcast. Yeah, we're not going to go on the, the, the podcast and just read. Uh, Derek says, hey, f these guys. Like, that's not going to come out on this podcast. We appreciate any critiques, concerns, um, heaps of praises that you're willing to offer us just because that helps us hone a better product, a better podcast for what you all want to listen to. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You know, we want to give you exactly what you've been looking for anyways. We really appreciate the fact that we've been given a platform and that doesn't exist without you guys. The other way that you can use that power to help not only yourself and the world, but us as well, is just by sharing the podcast with a friend, right? You know, the more people that know about this podcast, the more people that know about the things that we're saying, the more people can learn how to deal with invasives in their own backyard. 
the more they can learn how to prevent the spread of invasives or learn to live alongside the invasives that call their native ecosystems home. And that also just starts with you guys, right? We really appreciate all the work you do to get the word out of this podcast. Um, but at the end of the day, we all can't do it on our own. You know, I only have so many friends and most of them are in this call represented right now. Hi, I'm one of Matt's best friends, as he said earlier in the podcast. Hi, apparently I'm also one of What the hell friends. is the apparently? Jesus. I, I feel like it has to do with we usually start with good friends and co-hosts because like we're just we're, we're good friends and co-hosts. I was feeling a little saucy, okay? <laughs> saucy boy. <laughs> Don't saucy. make me regret it. Saucy boy. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all the ways y'all can help us unless you're willing to pay for like some therapy or something like that, in which case I'd appreciate that as well. <laughs> um uh, CJ and Brittany, is there anything y'all can think of we need to touch upon before we move on to next week? No, no. Have a lovely rest of your two weeks, and we'll see you in mm -hmm. September. What? Wait, hold on, hold on. I just want to confirm that our next episode, our next episode comes out on September fifth, but the the episode after that, we're actually doing three in a row, and for the reason is that this is our 98th episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Wow. So 98th, next next episode's 99, and then episode 100, baby. We're real close. Oh, man. That's wild. Yeah, thank you to you all. And um, keep an eye out for those festivities, folks. Until then, though, I think we'll catch you next time. Very good, Matthew. Very good. I was, I was ready. Yeah, it's been a long one. It's, we started we got on the call at 8 15 it's 10 15 yeah but we love each other oh no it's great i, no, I actually <laughs> thought it was a really good conversation oh I it agree. was a phenomenal episode i feel so good about that one yeah All right, i like you next time i like what oh jesus <laughs> still recording <laughs> Thanks so much, all you nature lovers, for listening to yet another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would especially like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our art for our episodes, as well as Connor Women for producing our music. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.